Welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast, your guide to help you manage life, money, and multiples. Each episode, host Paul Fenner, Tama Capital's president and founder, and the proud parent of four amazing children, including one set of triplets, will provide insights on successfully sustaining an active lifestyle, career, and family through comprehensive wealth management strategies, financial education, and lifestyle planning specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. My guest this week is Dr. Pat Quatcha, a dentist and owner of Dream Dental. Pat is a graduate of the University of Detroit Mercy School of Dentistry who takes a different whole body approach to dentistry when working with his patients. His friendly and jovial demeanor truly helps provide his patients with painless, comfortable, and relaxing dental experiences, especially for younger kids. Full disclosure, my family has been patients of Dr. Quatcha for over seven years. In our conversation, we discuss why Pat chose his whole body approach to dentistry since oral health is directly linked to overall health and how it translates into better care for his patients. Pat talks about the challenges of ramping his practice back up in a post-COVID-19 landscape, given the increased safety measures required within a dental office. We talk about Pat's personal battle to balance running and growing a business with a spouse who also works while raising three young children, a relatable challenge for most entrepreneurs, especially those with families. Pat, whose wife Sonia is a physician assistant talks about what it was like having both of them being on the front lines of the pandemic while having their children at home, the struggles they are going through with homeschooling, and the family support they have relied upon to help see them through the challenges of being healthcare professionals. Please enjoy this conversation with Dr. Pat Quatcha. I'll let Pat kind of explain his background and what he does in the dental area. So, Pat, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Paul. Appreciate it. My name is Pat Quacha. I'm a dentist in Commerce Township, Michigan. I have a general practice, family dental office. We see them from two to 200, basically. And we do the full range of dental treatments from cleanings to implants. And we also have a gum specialist on staff. So it's a multidisciplinary practice. There's general and we have the gum specialty, which she does a lot of our advanced gum surgeries and implant surgeries and that kind of stuff. So we try to make it a one-stop shop for the most part, full line of cosmetic treatments and that sort of thing also. So yeah, it's really fun. We've grown so much over the years, being in such a great community like Commerce, a lot of great families like yours, Paul. It's been really a great experience these last, gosh, 14 years. It's been amazing to see your growth and how we've gotten to know each other personally, both inside your dental practice and outside your dental practice, because we've been in commerce now for nine years. And for those that are listening throughout the country, many of you know, commerce is a suburb of Metro Detroit where we're at. It's been so interesting to see your guys' growth, both from the business and personally as well. So definitely excited to have you on the show today because one of the things that people may not know about you is that you have three younger kids as well. And one of the main focuses that we talk about on this podcast is families, multiple kids, whether you have multiples like triplets like we do, or you have three like you do, how you balance, especially in your case, as a business owner, balance your business, 
raising three young kids and the challenges that come along with that. That was probably a hard task before COVID. I know for most of us, now it's even a harder task during COVID. We definitely live in a different world. I mean, when I started my practice, I was single and then I got married and then I had the three kids. So my views on work-life balance have definitely evolved over the years. I used to work two nights a week till 8.30 p.m. I used to work a lot more Saturdays. And then once you have the kids, life changes and you need to spend more time with the family and you kind of adjust and bring on more staff to help you cover some of those hours. That way you have more time to spend with the kids. So it's definitely changed over the years. COVID was a whole new situation, but COVID was interesting for me because we were closed for nearly three months. So I was home a lot more with the kids than I usually am. And it actually, I think, made me a better parent because when you're home that much, you do a lot more stuff and have to be more patient. And it's just that constant interaction, which teaches you how to be more adaptable to these situations. And then now I've been back to work for three months. And so I'm kind of back to the old schedule, but the kids are still home a lot. And again, it's given me an opportunity to spend a lot more time with them. So it's definitely been a growing experience, very challenging at times, but in a way, there has been some growth for me and benefit for our family is just spending so much time together. Although I will say they're going back to school on Tuesday and I'm not sad about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we hear you there. We started back virtually this week ourselves. So that's something I want to come back to throughout the show is that work-life balance that you were talking about. But I think where I want to go first is to talk specifically about the business. So My first question is, so you guys were completely shut down or were you guys open for like just emergencies only or how did that work? Yeah, we were open for just emergencies. It was just me. I had no staff essentially because they were all laid off because we didn't have anyone really coming in. So I'd go in for a couple hours a day, Monday through Thursday, just in case there were calls from patients who needed help or if somebody had a toothache and I had to get them in to get them out of pain. The state was very strict on what we were allowed and not allowed to do. They basically did not want us running the drill if we didn't have to because it creates aerosols until acceptable protocol were established by the state with the American Dental Association and the Michigan Dental Association and that sort of thing. So it was very, very minimal. So we were shut down. 99%. I mean, I might see a couple of people a week for a quick emergency, and that was pretty much it. Because a lot of people didn't even want to come. I mean, if they had even a problem that might have been uncomfortable but wasn't very painful, they would call and ask, but they didn't want to come in. How's the rebound been for you? Because I'm wondering if people are still scared to come into a dental office because of the virus. Have you seen everything rebound back to like levels of where it was or are they below or? Actually, we've rebounded to levels higher than where we were. I mean, there's a huge pent up demand. Our practice has a very good reputation with cleanliness. And so most people were ready to come back. They were trusting of me and my staff to follow the protocol. And actually, we kind of go above and beyond the protocol anyway. And I think they knew that would be the case. We informed everybody when we reopened, we sent out an email letting them know exactly what we were doing. Everything from the gear that we're wearing to the medical grade air purifiers to the 
extra suction units that sit outside your mouth while you get your teeth cleaned to suck up all the aerosols while you're getting your teeth cleaned. So we're jammed. I mean, we can't even keep up at this point. I mean, it's starting to kind of normalize now. We opened up May 29th, June and July were absolutely nuts. And then August, which is typically a slower month for us because it's back to school, was still a very busy month. People are nervous, but now that we have all the equipment, even some of the people who are waiting are like, okay, well, I'm ready to come back now. So if you hadn't noticed in the intro, full disclosure, I'm a patient of Dr. Quatsha. So I've actually been in your practice since after COVID. I've had the triplets plus McKenzie, our plus one in since then already. And I can say firsthand what a great experience it's been and all the precautions that you guys have gone through. So I guess it doesn't surprise me that you guys have rebounded that strong given your guys' strong reputation within the community. So that's incredible. It's been great for us. We're very blessed. I read a lot of the newsletters that come out of the American Dental Association. And throughout the country, the average is about, most offices are about at 70, 80% rebound, but we're like 100% plus rebound. We've been blessed with that because the community, they trust us, they trust me, and they've been fine coming back. So it's been a good experience. It's been tough getting back after being off for three months, basically, and wearing all the gear is very, you'll notice the office is colder because we get so hot wearing all that stuff, but it's a new world and people adapt and it's been going well. I've got to imagine like when I was in and talking to Jenny, my dental hygienist, who, you know me, I think the world of her, she's the best. Oh yeah, she's great. I felt so bad for her with all that gear that she had on, but it just goes to prove that the links of care that you guys go to protect not only patients, but also yourselves as well. That's the biggest thing, actually. A lot of the protocol are to protect the dental staff because we are all about the highest risk profession you can be all we do is create aerosols. So (laughs) the thing is, though, if you look at the data, there really haven't been any reports of huge outbreaks amongst dental personnel now and even before the outbreak really got bad, which tells me even what we were doing before was probably enough. That's interesting. I didn't know that. I haven't seen anything to show that a large number of dental assistants, dental hygienists, and dentists have contracted it from work. So what we were doing before was probably enough, but now we're going way over that. So I feel very safe. So as far as because of the extra precautions you guys have had to implement, are insurance companies picking up the cost of that? Or is that something like as the business owner, you have to eat some of that cost and then some of that cost is passed on to the patients as well? Or does insurance cover that? How's that working? It's a combination. In the beginning, we had to front all the costs and there's a lot of costs. I mean, it's not just PPE, it's the equipment, which everything was on back order, took us months to get a lot of it. So we had to front all the costs. I used to joke that all I do for my closed business is shop because we had so much stuff we had to acquire We had to put some of it onto the patients. We have a PPE fee that we charge. It's $7 per appointment, which we're hoping to be temporary. I'm hoping by the end of the year at the latest to get rid of it because some of the insurances are starting to pay a little bit of that here and there. 
So if you do have insurance coverage, some people don't have to pay it. And we are in network providers for most of the major PPOs, which has its pros and cons. And one of the cons is they can often dictate what you can and cannot collect from the patient. And some of us do not allow us per our contract to collect that PPE from the patient. And it is what it is. So the majority of it is fronted by us. But at this point, we're happy to be open and being able to work and see our patients and help people. So that's the cost of doing business at this point. And it is what it is. And it's kind of a fluid situation with all that. So we'll see. I feel like it is improving. Stuff is starting to become available, but now they're talking about future shortages of other things, like for instance, needles, because when the vaccine comes out, most of the needles are going to be diverted manufacturing the vaccine. So we're getting notifications from our suppliers that needles might be in shortage. So people are going to start buying more needles. So that's going to immediately be a shortage. So it's very interesting how it's all working and playing out. One question I had too, regarding the business of dentistry, if you will, given where the dentist industry is highly fragmented, mostly small firms, there's not a whole lot of major conglomerates, at least that I know of. So with the whole COVID situation and within your network, do you see or have you seen any negative impact of some dentist offices having to close because they just couldn't survive it financially? So I don't know of anybody personally, but there were definitely statements made by the Michigan Dental Association that, yes, dentists were filing bankruptcy, that dentists were having to close. It is a very high overhead business. And like you said, the majority of them are family businesses. They're individually owned practices, although there are a number of big conglomerates, not as many in the state of Michigan, but there's a lot in Florida and California. I mean, there's one group that has like 2000 offices or something ridiculous. I mean, it's crazy. So I don't know how it impacted them, but the majority of the ones you hear about are the ones that I would imagine the ones that really had to close up shop are the newer startup type offices that didn't have as deep of a patient base, not as much of an established reputation to be able to come back and maybe less working capital to hold out during the closing period. So yes, I did hear stories coming out of the associations that people did have to close and close their doors. Does that open up any opportunities for your family office to expand here locally? I would imagine it would. I think it just depends on the area and if that's something you're looking to do. I mean, obviously, if an office closes, those patients are going to have to find somewhere to go. And sometimes when offices close and people find out about it, yeah, they go and swoop up and buy up the business. So I'm sure there's a lot of that happening. Usually, the majority of that these days happens from the bigger. There's a group I know of out of the east side. They've got about 12 offices and they have somebody on their staff dedicated to finding offices that they can buy out. So a guy like me, unless I'm really on a mission to buy another office, it's not really something that happens as much. There are guys that they want to just get big and sell off the offices. Unfortunately, dentistry isn't the same as it was 30 years ago where you kind of had, it was the norm to have one doctor, one office, and that was it. Now it's getting to be multiple doctors in one office. And then sometimes they go to multiple locations. And some guys just grow it just big so they can get bought out by the big conglomerates. It's definitely a changing 
landscape for all that. Going back to what you talked about before and your ability to really be home with Sonia and the three kids during COVID, did that change your mindset about how you wanted to grow or drive or pivot your business strategy through all this? Yes and no. I mean, I've always maintained in my mind that I like having a good work-life balance. I also am one that I've had experiences in my life that I've suffered some health setbacks. So that creates a whole new perspective with regard to work-life balance. So I learned very young that I wanted to be able to spend time with the family, do well at my career, but not allow my health to suffer for it from overworking myself, and which is still very hard to do. That's a very rigorous type of business. So my opinions are, I'd like to be able to do what I can to make my business successful, but not compromise on my family or my health. So wherever that takes me and whatever allows me to do that is what I want to do. I think that's one of the things that I know that we have talked about this over the nine years. <laughs> Hard to believe that. Almost nine years we've known each other Crazy, now. Crazy, yes. Is that similarity between small business owners? And I think that's one thing that I think people that tune in resonate with people like ourselves that own a small business that in the financial service industry where I'm at, they call it like a lifestyle practice where you're maybe a solo practitioner, or maybe you have an assistant or something like that. In your case, you have another dentist on board. It's easy to work 70 plus hours a week and not pull it back, especially in the early years. And I've obviously experienced that. I know you have as well. And it's really hard to dial that back. One of my struggles that I had during COVID was kind of the opposite of yours where my business kind of exploded in the first part of the year. It had nothing to do with the markets going crazy like they did. It was just, it was, I think, the COVID situation drove people to finally make a change and say, okay, I need to reach out to an advisor like myself because I'm scared or I'm nervous or I want to protect my family and I just don't know what to do. So I've talked to many people like in your situation that had that time to take a breather and then people in my situation where you end up working more during COVID than you did before COVID. Oh yeah, totally. From what I've seen with this whole situation, whether it be financial or the amount of hours worked, you either are benefiting hugely financially from it and working way more than you were or the complete opposite. It's amazing the, the high variability that I see amongst people. I would completely agree with you. And I have that conversation with families all the time, especially now that we're into this homeschooling situation where you have a subset of the population that have the ability to form these learning pods, if you will, where they can bring in somebody to help rather than having their kid be on a computer or Zoom class all day long and you have two working parents. Or now in the fact that a lot of families I know, one partner or spouse has to go into an office or a manufacturing facility or something like that. And that leaves the other spouse at home with all the kids trying to work and homeschool. And it's putting a lot of pressure on, I think, the structure of families and structure of relationships, husband, wife, kids. And in a previous episode, I had child psychologist, Dr. Laura Hutchinson on. And that's one thing that we talked about a lot was that you have the cases growing exponentially. You have, unfortunately, the deaths that happen. But there's going to be additional data points that I think come out of this where 
We have increases in domestic violence. We have increases in suicide rates. We have those types of effects of this virus that maybe aren't being talked about right now because the focus is on the virus where it should be. But on the other hand, there's definitely this growing social economic divide between those that have done really well, like you had mentioned, and those that haven't. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's what I see or hear a lot about on the news and that sort of thing is this is really going to create a much larger divergence between the haves and have-nots, especially as it pertains to education. Just like you said, there's a class of people who have the opportunity and the means to bring people on to supplement their children's education or send their kids to private schools, which in Michigan, the private schools are oh, they're booming. And then there's the kids in the areas that the school districts aren't as well-funded, the families aren't as well-funded, that are really going to suffer much more than the kids in the other class in the long term, which in, they say years from now will create a higher divergence in the economic divide, the middle class is going to disappear, is what I hear, or what you read a lot about, which is hopefully not the case, because that's kind of what I've seen kind of has created the culture here in America is the middle class. So it is crazy. I'm lucky my children in the district I'm in, they offered a hybrid situation. For us, that was the right choice to let them go to school. They're going to go into in-person teaching two days a week and three days virtual because I'm a dentist. I'm exposed at work. My wife is a PA. She works at a hospital. To us, there's really not that much greater of a risk of them going to school with nine. They're each going to have like nine or 10 kids in their class than staying home. Plus, it's very difficult for us to stay home with them because we have the type of job where we have to leave the house to go do our jobs. But we have looked into the learning pod thing for the other days because we don't want their education to be compromised. We want them to be able to learn what they need to learn so they're not struggling for years to come because of this. Let's pivot now to getting more specific, staying on that topic of kids, but more in your area of expertise, dentistry. What are some of the health risks that you see early on with kids as being a dentist? Because in prepping for our conversation, I did some reading on a dentist actually can be a first line of defense when it comes to discovering potentially serious medical problems, both not only in kids, but in adults as well. So could you talk to us a little bit about what those may be and how you guys work with that within your office? The mouth is essentially considered, they say it's the gateway to the body. There's a lot of systemic diseases that have oral manifestations in them. So we oftentimes can detect diseases or conditions or maladies early on. And there's a big reason for that too, is patients who are regular with their dentist, you go every six months, you see us twice a year. That's more than most people visit their physician. So we have the opportunity time-wise to be able to screen you much more often for these types of conditions. So for instance, you were asking about kids, I, at least on a weekly basis, will refer a child to a pediatric ENT because their tonsils are just humongous. And I have two children that needed their tonsils removed because they had sleep apnea. My middle one, his oxygen saturation during his sleep study went down into the 70s. So I have sleep apnea. 
I've educated myself on it. We treat it in the office using oral appliances for adults. So I have the opportunity to screen children. That's a big thing I see in kids is these huge tonsils. I say, hey, go get them looked at. I don't know. I'm not going to treat them because that's not my area of expertise, but go get them looked at. We often take blood pressures in our office. So if somebody comes in and they think they're healthy and they have high blood pressure, I'll say, hey, check it again tomorrow. See if it's still high when you're not in the office. We've had multiple people come back six months later and say, oh my God, I'm so happy you checked my blood pressure. I went to my doctor. I have high blood pressure. I'm now on a medication, which can potentially save them from having a stroke because high blood pressure, they call it the silent killer. It's not painful. You don't know what's there until it gets you. Oral cancer is obviously an obvious one. Actually, it's strange this year. We've had multiple oral cancer cases we've detected. Luckily, these patients have done very well. We've detected them relatively early, but that's something that's actually our job to look for. But there's all kinds of things. I mean, I had a patient who actually had a connective tissue disease that we saw oral manifestations of, and we sent him to get it biopsied. And He has to see a rheumatologist now because he has a connective tissue disease. So there's tons and tons of things. When it comes to kids, a lot of it is just detecting shortcomings in their diet because a lot of parents these days, and it's great that they're very conscious of their kid's diet. And I had one child that came in, he was a small child, about three or four, and he had a ton of cavities. And I said, there must be something dietary going on with this child. And she goes, oh no. He only eats fresh fruits and vegetables, lots of fruit, lots of vegetables. I said, does he eat fruit like throughout the whole day? And she said, yeah, he always has a bowl of fruit with him. I said, well, fruit has a lot of sugar. Sugar. And that's probably where his cavities come from. So her heart was in the right place. She was doing the right thing for her child. But there was an issue where she didn't realize the frequency of exposure to sugar and acids, regardless of the source, can cause cavities. So We talk a lot about diet in our practice too with kids and that sort of thing. So yeah, we find things all the time that we try to help people with. I'm trying to remember. I think the triplets were, I want to say that they were three when we first brought them into your office. What's a good age that you recommend that kids come in? Because I know when we first brought our kids, you emphasize bringing them in as early as you feel comfortable. And part of that is just to get them used to the dentist's office itself so they're not afraid. Because I've talked to other parents that didn't take their kids until later and their kids are like terrified to go to the dentist, which obviously you don't want that. And you know, our kids, they're like happy-go-lucky. They actually look forward to going to your office. The American Academy of Pediatrics and Pediatric Dentistry recommend an exam at one year. The majority of people do not bring their kids in at one year. The majority of our patients, we have them start around age two. And is a two-year-old going to sit in my chair and let me and let their clean? Some do. Some plop right down and they're great. And some really struggle with it. But then you bring them when they're two and a half. And then by the time they're three, which a lot of people think is the quote-unquote right age to bring them, it's old news for them. They've adapted. They've seen. They've come. They're not nervous anymore. And then we can really evaluate them a little bit more thoroughly and make sure that they're staying healthy And if by three, three and a half, they just really won't cooperate, they just really don't want to do this, then we send them to the pediatric dentist because they have a whole other host of techniques and tools that they can use to get that child to make sure they get the care that they need. And I always say, God bless pediatric dentists. But yeah, usually around two. And you're right, it's just to adapt them to coming. 
So one of the questions I often get, and I'm going through this now personally, is how do you brace for the cost of braces or orthodontics? Obviously, you're a general practice, but you do a lot of referrals to some of the local orthodontists here locally. How do you go through that process, both as kids, and now I'm seeing more orthodontics with adults wearing like braces or Invisalign or some of those mechanisms? So we'll start with the kids. As far as budgeting goes, that's probably more your department than it is my department. A lot of insurance companies do have a separate amount of money that they allow to be used toward orthodontics. It's like a separate dental insurance works where let's say you have policy A from employer B. Most dental insurance companies, if you go to like a participating provider, give you, let's say, I don't know, $1,500 a year to use towards your dental treatment. Now that doesn't mean they're going to pay hundred percent of everything, but let's say your cleaning's covered at hundred percent and the fee that they're going to pay the participating providers, $50 or whatever it is, that money comes out of your annual total. Those policies often have a separate budget for orthodontics. Typically, it's about 15, at least from my experience in working with other families, it's typically about 1500, which is like your max lifetime benefit. Orthodontic budget, yeah. And the thing is, most orthodontists, because they're highly specialized, are not participating providers with the networks. So they don't accept the contracted fee from the PPOs, which is usually about 30% lower. They charge you the difference. Dental insurance these days has not adjusted for inflation since they were started in like, I don't know, the 60s or 70s. I mean, those maximums really haven't come up very much. Insurance is like a coupon. But what I see a lot with my patients is they use things like HSA accounts and FSA accounts to help offset some of that cost. So that's what I see happening as far as budgeting goes. I would defer to you on that. It can get expensive. And that's where working with your orthodontist, especially if you have multiples like we do, there's opportunities there to work with them. Coming back to, as we kind of get to the end of our conversation, I want to swing back to what we originally touched on with you talking about how you were able to gain some of that balance over that time that you were off with COVID. So you're in this really unique situation where you have your own business, your wife, Sonia, is a full-time PA, you've got three young growing kids. How do you balance it all? Well, first of all, it is mostly balanced by my wife. Let's be clear about that. <laughs> she is the driver of the home ship. We're lucky. She works Monday through Wednesday, so she doesn't work five days. And we are very lucky because we do have a very large family network that helps. I mean, her parents are local. My parents are local. Her aunt actually watches the kids when they're home and we're at work. So we are lucky than most in the sense that we have a lot of family that help. But as far as work-life balance, it is all dictated. I tell her, just tell me what to do and where to go. I will do it. I'm the boss at work. I said, you can be the boss. At <laughs> I can't deal with it. But how it's a lot of, she's very organized. So she really keeps everything on track. She makes sure the kids have everything they need for school. And then I'm more, she's like, go take them here, take them there, pick them up. And I say, okay. 
she's really good about helping me. I'm terrible about managing my schedule. I usually, schedule-wise, my mind is usually on work. And I often forget to tell her, oh, I'm working extra this day. Or So now we have this joint calendar that I'm starting to finally put things into so she knows when I have these items. And I'm actually starting to check the calendar once in a while to see if I have items already booked. So that's helping. But at the end of the day, what I've really come to realize is you just have to say at a certain time of day, I'm done today. I'm done cleaning. I'm done cooking. I'm done working. I'm tired. I'm going to spend this time with my children. They're going to go to bed and I'm going to start over tomorrow and do the best I can. That's what I think people have a really hard time doing is they have trouble letting go. They have trouble saying, I have to do all this, especially because unfortunately, I think a lot of it is pressure from social media where they see these people on social media where I'm a mother of four and I cook organic homemade this all day and I work full time and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, we know that's not true. That's right. Because you're posting it on Instagram doesn't mean it's true. So I think people put so much pressure on themselves and they run themselves so ragged that they don't really take time to smell the roses. And like I said, I've really learned over the years to just say, okay, I'm done for today. This is it for today. I'll try again tomorrow and see what else I can get done in between work and family and that sort of thing. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with you. And that honestly has been a real challenge for me over the course of the last almost 10 years that I have had kids is just saying, okay, I'm done for the day. I've done the best I can. It's time to shut it off and we'll have another at bat tomorrow. But when you're driven like we are, we have our own businesses, it's really hard to like turn that switch off. Out of curiosity, what's the calendar system that you're using? Oh, nothing special. We both have iPhones. We just use the calendar and the iPhone. For some reason, Teresa and I have never figured that out to have like our own family schedule. When you walk into our mudroom in our house, we've got a calendar like with two months on it and we write stuff there. But unless it gets on my calendar, I don't see it. So like you, like I managed my calendar, run my day to my calendar. And if, if it's not on there, then I just completely miss it. Yeah, we have a paper one for the kids to see stuff. And I'll be honest, we're not very technologically savvy. So it took like a month for us to figure out how to really use it. But we've kind of gotten the hang of it now. It's actually pretty easy. And it really is very helpful because I'll see, oh, she's going over so-and-so's house on Friday. Am I going or are you going alone? Or, oh, so-and-so, the kids have an event at school on Thursday. Who's taking them? So. That has been very helpful just as far as communication goes, because if she's working all day, when I'm at work, they just got me an Apple Watch so they can actually get in touch with me while I'm at work. When I'm with my patients, I don't sit at a desk. I put my briefcase down. I don't even know why I carry it back and forth. It just makes me feel important, I guess. I set it down, and then I immediately start seeing my patients. And if I get a lunch, I might check my phone and eat and do something and then I'll go back to work and then so I don't really have time for a conversation on the phone unless it's with something to do with work until I'm done with work so now they got me an Apple watch so that way if they need to get a hold of me I can wear the watch while I'm working because you can disinfect it and clean it and wash it and it's all waterproof and it's great so there's little changes we've had to make so that way we can communicate so that's the thing is it's the ability to communicate with each other throughout the day because we're not together all day But I understand what you're saying as far as being focused. When you start your own business, 
it is very difficult psychologically to get out of survival mode. Even though I have a successful practice now, I've achieved many of my goals. I'm very satisfied. We're humming along. Things are going great. In fact, the biggest problem I have now is deciding how much more I want to grow because we are still growing. And at some point I have to decide, well, do we want to add more, expand the office, bring another doctor on, or do we want to try and just keep it the size that it is? So, but psychologically, you always feel like you're in survival mode because you were in that mode for so long that it's hard to realize, like, hey, I did make it. I am successful. We are comfortable, luckily. I don't have to always push myself to the limit. I am so glad that you said that because you are like spot on. And I know that's a struggle for a lot of entrepreneurs is getting out of that mode. So how happy were you when you hired Dr. Amy, what, a few years ago? (laughs) Oh yeah, Dr. Angie. She's great. Or Angie, I should say. When she listens to this, I call her Amy. She's going to have me at the office. (laughs) No, she's like the most laid back person on earth. So I think think she's great. And you usually see me. So it's not like you made a huge error there, but that comes with its pros and cons. I'm very particular. It was a transitional period in the beginning because I run things a very specific way and it might be different than the practices she was at previously. So it took time for her to acclimate to the new environment. But then when she did, yes, it's been great. I mean, she's a great practitioner. The patients love her. I always tease her because she gets way more than I do. But super caring, super nice, does great work. But for me, it was a huge relief because if I do wake up one day and I'm ill, I have somebody else that I can call and say, hey, can you go in and keep the show going for me so we don't have to close today because I'm ill today. So that's a huge relief. I don't work two nights. We're open until 8 p.m. two days a week. I used to do both. Now I can see my kids much more. I can put them to bed four nights a week instead of three nights a week because she works one night and I work one night. We do one Saturday a month, September through May. She does half and I do half. So from a lifestyle perspective, it was a life changer for me. It was a total game changer. Now I'm like thinking, oh, maybe I'll bring another doctor on one day and (laughs) take it a little bit more easy. But yeah, that's been a great help for me. And I'm lucky because I knew her before she came to work for me. I knew her from school. And then oddly enough, she turned out to be a cousin of my wife. So she was family too. So a lot of people also knew her to be a very ethical and good person. So your businesses, as you know, is like your home. It's hard to bring a stranger into your home and just say, have at it. So it was very comforting for me to bring somebody in who wasn't really a stranger. So that was nice. And she's been very good addition. And that's been a huge help for me and my family. So It's all good news there. As we come to the end of our conversation, my closing question for everybody is, what is the one thing that you like most or love the most about being a parent? For me, one of the greatest joys of being a parent has been just watching them grow and develop and seeing what they can and can't do and trying to help them along. My middle one, he's like, my exact clone as far as personality goes. And I'll see him do stuff that I used to do when I was a kid. And I'm thinking, oh, God. (laughs) Of course, that's why we clash the most too. But the babies are cute and cuddly. The toddlers, oh, watch what they can do. They can walk now. 
I have a fourth grader now, and she's reading chapter books and writing little papers for school, and she's getting to be a little bit more mature, and that's cool too. So for me, the coolest thing about being a parent, one of the best things I like about being a parent is seeing what they can do as they get older and seeing how they develop. It's just, it's fascinating to me to watch. So that's been a real joy and a privilege because it's cool. It's neat. It's how can I help them? They don't want my help a lot sometimes too. And my parents were a little bit more old school. They weren't as hands-on as I am, let's say. I feel like I'm sometimes even overly hands-on. I have to step back and just say, hey, you do it yourself. So that's what I love the best is just watching them. Oh, he can ride a, my four-year-old can ride a bike now. It's crazy, this kid. He's like a little ninja on that thing. So that's what's the best to me, just watching them grow. And everyone likes them when they're little and they're cute and they're cuddly. And I will say I do cling to my little one a little bit more because he's still my little squish ball. But at the same time, my fourth grader is awesome too because she'll make a sarcastic comment that's totally hilarious that I think of myself making the same comment. So that's what I love the best is just watching them develop into these people that I hope will turn out to be amazing adults. Well, knowing you and Sonia, I'm sure that they will. So I think thank you. Yeah, that's a great way to wrap up our conversation. Pat, I can't thank you enough for being on the Emotional Balance Sheet podcast today. And I guess I'll see you in the office here in the next month or so. Yeah, my pleasure. Anytime. All right. Thanks, Pat. No problem. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Mm-hmm.